morning, everybody. So good to see everyone today. Great to be back at the town hall. Look at the floor, very smart floor. And um, if you're here for the very first time today, or maybe first few times, a very, very big welcome to you. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm the senior leader here. We're so pleased that you're here. And, uh, or if you've been away a while and you've come back, we're really, really pleased that you're here. And if you've been coming every week since you were born, we're really pleased that you are here. And uh, um, every week we send out some text encouragements, uh, an email encouragement to cheer us all on in life and faith, to share a little bit what's going on. And if you'd like to just try that out for size and see if that, if that encourages you, uh, at the end of the uh, time together, I just encourage you to go right to the very back. You see Keith there. Keith just waves. And uh, just behind him, there's a table. And uh, you can just give us your, your mobile number and your email. And uh, we'll just start sending you that stuff. And we hope it will bless you and encourage you. And um, we'd, we'd, we'd love to, to do that. So bear that in mind. You'll also see there are some other resources for all of us on that back table. Uh, more than anything, we know that the goal of our lives is to draw close to Jesus and to become like him. And so we're looking to try to provide tools and resources to help us all do that. Uh, there's a little daily Zio prayer card. And uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that um, we've just launched the Zio Journal, which is a 52-week journal, which has a little scripture for the week and a thought for the week, but a, a basically a space where you can write down what you're praying about, what you sense God is speaking to you about. Uh, we were going to charge five pounds for those because they're nicely produced. But as I mentioned last time, someone on Zio kindly paid for all of them so that people can, can have one for free. And so if you've not taken one and you will use it, then please grab one. And I'd encourage you, like, bring it to church on a Sunday. Bring it when we gather. Look, Sarita, Sarita's got hers. She wins the prize. Well done, Sarita. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, Celine, and oh, look, there's a few, hey, oh, this is, a, oh, Anita's got, I'm seeing it now, oh, well done, Wayne, I'm feeling blessed, I'm feeling very blessed, and so if you want to be holier than thou, wave your white book at me next week, uh, next time we're together, and if you don't, we'll be praying especially for you in between times, but it is good, whether on your phone or on those things, to make a note of what God is saying. Uh, because um, I think God is really speaking to us this term about this justice theme. And, uh, and I, I literally don't know if I'm going to get through what I have to share with you today, um, but I'm going to try. Um, last thing to say, just before I kind of dive in, is um, if, if you are relatively new here or if you're here today uh, for the first time, we'd love you to come and join us for lunch next week. We've got about 25 people coming for lunch next week uh, who are fairly new to Zio, and we do this every term, an opportunity to, to get to know us. Uh, my amazing wife is going to cook an incredible meal, and, uh, and it's all free. It's great. And, uh, and I get to eat that meal, and uh, that's my contribution. But, but <laughs> Of course. In the dishwasher. And, um, and so we'd invite you to come. You'll get to know some people, some of our team, some of the other members of the church, and hear a little bit about the church from 1 to 2.30 next week. Uh, but again, if you, if you give us your details, we can send you an invitation to that. But um, okay, deep breath. Um, join me, put your hands on your heart if you feel able to. Just come, Holy Spirit. 
you need to change us. Forgive us. Speak to us. May we be different when we leave because of you. Amen? I've started already. This is not a good sign. I want to ask you this morning what a person is worth to you. How much is a person worth to you? And when I was thinking about that question, when I felt provoked about this question, my immediate answer, well, it depends who it is. Wouldn't you instinctively think that it depends who the person is? I mean, like if I was to say, you know, my, my wife, my sons, my family, my close friends, I mean, they mean everything to me. They're very, very precious to me. But I, I, I want to ask you as I'm asking myself and feeling provoked by this question, but is everyone precious to you? Is everyone precious in your sight? Is everyone equally precious? And before we kind of wave our hands and say yes, be careful because your true truth is revealed in your behavior. Not what you say, but how you actually behave. I remember uh, some years ago uh, when I used to lead this uh, National Youth and Children's Charity, Urban Saints, we were going through this massive strategic review and it was pretty tough. Like, you know, we felt like God was saying some new things about where we should go. And some of the staff team loved it. They were excited about it. They thought it was great. And others uh, really did not think it was great. They, they literally were very upset with me about some of the things that, that we as a leadership team were suggesting. Uh, some of them even wrote to my trustees and basically thought I'd lost the plot. It was a very, very difficult time, the toughest time in the 18 years that I was there. And at the time, I had someone who was kind of coaching me as a leader. And I remember sitting uh, with her by the Thames at the South Bank having a coffee on a summer's afternoon and, and, and basically pouring out my heart about how difficult some of these people were and why couldn't they just get with the program. And uh, she looked at me and she said, do you love your team? And I immediately responded and I said, I love some of them. Because that was the truth. I mean, I really did love some of them. I really, really did. But I definitely did not love all of them. I really didn't. And if any of them, particularly uh, two or three of them, if any of them had come to me one day and said they were leaving, I've got to be honest, not very Christian, I would have done a little happy dance and put their coat on for them. I definitely didn't love them all. And I remember she looked at me and said, Matt, you have to love them all. You have to love them all. Can't have favorites. And I knew that she was right because I knew that that is the way of Jesus, that Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. We're not just supposed to love the people that like us, and we're not just supposed to love the people that we're like. Can I say that again? We're not just supposed to, be to love the people who like us, and we're definitely not supposed to just love the people that we're like because that's what we gravitate take towards, don't we? We like the people that we like. So again, I want to ask you, what is a person worth to you? To me. I don't know if you've seen the film uh, Schindler's List based on this horrific true story of how Oscar Schindler is feeling utterly heartbroken about the fate of the Jews in the, in the Nazi concentration camps. And there's a scene in the film where he's just kind of gazing out the window, chewing over what can he do about this injustice that he sees. And, and he's stirred into action and realizes that if the thought that's coming to his mind, if he puts it in place, it will cost him everything. It will cost him everything. 
And so he resolves, if you're not familiar with the story, to basically go to the local concentration camp and, and essentially try to buy some Jews so that they can get out of the concentration camp and work in his factory. But really, he obviously just wants them to be free and have life. And there's a scene where he goes to the, the head Nazi at the concentration camp, a guy called Goeth, and, and he's having this conversation with Goeth, and he, and he says to Goeth, all you have to do, Goeth, is you have to decide what a person's life is worth. And Goeth replies and says, no, 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 Shinder, beating his finger into Schindler's chest. You have to decide what a person's life is worth. You have to decide. And Schindler enters into negotiation, and he decides to rescue over the rest of his life as many enslaved people as he can. 1,100 people. People that he doesn't know. People that are not his family. People that are essentially nothing to do with him. But, but somehow something happens in Schindler and he looks at these people and he realizes these people are as precious as my family. These people mean everything to me. How much is a life worth to you today? How much is a life worth to me? And so this morning, we're continuing our series this term, Looking at Justice. And I'm going to look at probably what is one of the most well-known Bible passages uh, on justice that actually is, we should be able to learn off by heart. And it's Micah 6, 8. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you may want to open up your Bible to that. And, it's, and here's, here's one translation of it. God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Everyone say, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. With such enthusiasm. Now, before we just get to this passage, let, let me just unpack what's going on here in the book of Micah. Micah is an Old Testament prophet, and, and God speaks through him in this whole short book of Micah to basically warn God's people, not the rebel world, but God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdoms of Samaria, of Israel, about his impending judgment upon them. And so this is a tough book where God is speaking, and it takes place around 753 BC and 687 BC, so, so nearly 3,000 years ago, two and a half or so thousand years ago. And if you want to read the whole book later, uh, essentially it breaks up into four themes, four big pictures. And so first of all, God says through Micah, the reason that he's about to unleash incredible judgment upon, again, his people, not the rebel world on his people. Secondly, the form that that judgment is going to take, what it's going to look like. Thirdly, and this is important, God always does this, the invitation that they have to repent and get back on track. And then God always does this, which is even more amazing, coupled with prophetic uh, words about the coming of Jesus, the promise that God will ultimately restore them and he will restore them back, even though they've messed up, even though they've rejected him. The reason, the form, the invitation, and the promise. But if you read these, the whole of the book of Micah, and it won't take you very long to read it, it will be very, very clear that God is very, very angry. He's very, very angry. He's very upset. 
And the reason that he's so upset is for years and years, decades and decades, God's prophets have been speaking to God's people. Remember, this is to God's people. This is to us about the kind of life that they should live for their good, but for the good of the world around them. And, and despite everything God keeps saying and keeps warning, the, the, the people of God are bound by self-centeredness and self-service. Like, it's all about them. And so he calls them out on it. And there are various challenges that he issues to them. He talks about their idolatry and their immorality. That They're basically worshipping everything but God. Anything that feels good to them. He calls them out on their jealousy and their greed. They're never satisfied. They're never content. They're never grateful with what they have. They just want more. He calls them out, you'll see, on their fraud and their theft. They're even literally deceiving and stealing from their own people. He calls out their exploitation and oppression. They're, the rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. And he even calls them out on their bribery and deception. He, he, he talks about how their leaders are willing to be paid off to basically say what anyone wants to hear. It's a serious situation. And, and what was even sadder is this, so much of this bad behavior was actually coming from the leaders, priests, and the prophets. The people who should have known better. They, they were just saying what the itching is of the people wanted to hear. Like Micah was about to step up and say to the people, like, God's mad, judgment is coming. And the prophets were saying, you can read it in Micah, God's not mad. God loves you. Like, he doesn't get cross. He loves you. He's on your side. He's, he's God Almighty more than he's God Almighty. Like, you know, he's, there's nothing to worry about. Keep doing what you're doing. It's all all right. And we love that God, don't we? Don't we love that God? The God like, you know, he loves you, he's for you, and of course that is all true. But you can't have searing love without a commitment to justice. And so in response to this, Micah has this formidable responsibility to speak the unpopular truth that God is furious. To, to, to cut through all of that rubbish and say, no, 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 God is angry. And I don't know if we like the idea of God getting angry, but we should hope that God gets angry, shouldn't we? Like, as you see what's going on in the world around you all over these years, but as we look at what's happening uh, right now across the Ukraine and Moldova and Russia, like, like wouldn't, wouldn't we want God to be angry about that? Wouldn't we want God to hate that and say that is terrible? And the reason that God is angry is because that God sees every single person on the planet as precious and beautiful and created by him in his image. He loves every single person. He knows that we are priceless and precious, but he also knows that every single person is broken and fragile and needs help and love and support and rescue. True? We should hope that God is angry. And, and we gathered here today, this morning, and, and here's, here's what challenges me. Like, I love the idea of God being angry at Putin. I love that idea. You should be angry at Putin, God. Look what he's doing. And let me tell you, he is. Although Putin isn't the real enemy, there is an enemy, and his name is Satan, and he lies to people. People cooperate with that lie because they've been greatly deceived. 
And so the big enemy here, folks, is actually not Putin. We should pray that Jesus will free Putin from the enslavement of the real enemy and that he will repent and come to his senses. It's what we should be praying. And we pray, that's why we pray, because there's a battle going on in the spiritual realm. And we're in the spiritual realm. We're telling Satan, in the name of Jesus, get your hand off this man. And we're believing that what we pray in the spirit will then break free in the spirit. And then it will manifest itself in the natural. I don't understand how prayer works, but that's what's going on here. That's why we pray. We don't understand it. But we pray. We love the idea of God being mad at Putin. But what if God is mad at you today? What if God is angry with you today? No, 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 no. He loves me. He can't be angry at me. Like he's, like he's God Almighty. No, what if he is angry at you? What if he is angry at me? Putin doing these things, he's, there are the wrong things that he's doing and there are right things he refuses to do. Could that be true of any of us? Are, are, are there... Are there opportunities where God has put opportunities for justice in front of us, mercy in front of us, and we have walked by people who were desperately in need? And I don't want to believe in a God who says, that's okay. He doesn't. And, and maybe, obviously, you know, not to the severity of, of Putin or anything like that, but at the end of the day... When people's lives are in trouble and their hearts are breaking and their lives are messed up, just like he was saying to his people in Micah, he's saying to us, do something. Don't you care? Don't you care? I need God to be angry at me sometimes, to bring me to my senses. Because, because as we cry out, as we just have cried out, and maybe we've looked at what's going on in the world around us, and we're saying, God, what are you doing? And maybe heaven is looking at us right now and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because the amazing thing about the whole story of Scripture is that God has chosen in his loving kindness, not dictatorship, but partnership. God has chosen to partner with us, to collaborate with us, to see heaven break out. He could choose dictatorship. He could say, okay, I'm going to wipe out everything evil on any spectrum, any sinfulness, any brokenness, any unkindness, anything Anything that causes damage and hurt and dismay, I'm going to write out anyone who has broken the heart of another person. He could do that, couldn't he? How many people would be in this room if he did? Unless you're literally saying you've walked through life, you've never hurt anyone, you've never done anything, you've never damaged his earth. He's not a dictator. He's, a par he's in partnership. He works with us. He collaborates with us. And this is what he's inviting his people back to. And, and in chapter 6, as we, we get to this verse 8, in chapter 6, at the start of chapter 6, if you look at it, you'll see God is saying like to his people, there's this sadness in his voice. What, like, what, have, I, what have I done to you? Like, is, it, is following me so hard? Like, haven't I rescued you? Didn't I save you from Egyptian slavery? Haven't all, have all I've done for you, haven't I loved you and blessed you and served you and taken care of you and protected you? Haven't I done all those things? And yet I've done all of this for you and you just take it all 
and you just do your own thing. It all ends with you. And if you look again at the verses just before verse 8, the people then respond and they say, okay, God, okay, we're feeling a little bit bad. We're feeling a bit guilty. What if we just do a whole bunch of sacrifices? We'll, 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 we'll kill some calves and we'll kill some oxen. We'll do some sacrifices. We'll basically go through some religious rituals to show you that we're sorry. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in your songs. I'm not interested in your sacrifices. I'm not interested in your church attendance. I'm not interested in your tithes. I'm not interested in any of those things. This is what I'm interested in, he says. I've shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what he says. That's what I'm looking for. That's the right response. Now now notice what God says right at the start. God has shown you. That's what it says. God has shown you what is good. He doesn't just say, here are three things that you should do. He says, I've shown you. Like, this is what God is like. God is a God of justice and mercy and humility. Like, what we do is we look at how God treats people. We look at how God responds to people. We look at how God loves people. We look at how God values people. We look at how God rescues people, and then we're invited to do the same. Is everyone with me today? And of course, the fullness of this seven centuries later is revealed when God breaks into human history himself. And he becomes a man, fully God, fully man. He becomes Jesus Christ. We get the full expression when, when he says in Micah 6, I have shown you. If, if you really want to know what it, this looks like, look at Jesus. Because Jesus shows us what God is completely like. What it means to live a Micah 6, 8 life. What does Jesus do? He feasts with the out. He restores the broken. He chooses the unchoosable. He comforts the bereaved. He feeds feeds the hungry. He brings peace to the storms. He provides for the poor. He encourages the downhearted. He welcomes the stranger. He inspires the hopeless. He heals the sick. He forgives the failure. He shines light in the darkness. He challenges the oppressor. He demolishes the demonic. He embraces the enemy. He rescues the sinner. He dies for the world and he defeats death itself. That's what he does. That's what he does. And why does he do that? Because people are precious to him. Every single person is precious to him. Every single person matters to him. That's why he does it. Not some people, all people. Not just the people who like him, but the people who hate him. Not just the people who accept him, but the people who reject him. Not just the people who adore him, but the people who abhor him. Every single person on this planet is precious to God. Everyone. And on the night before Jesus was crucified, he's enjoying this meal with his friends. And he, and he says these incredible words in, in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. Even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Like Peter... Jesus is saying to his disciples, like, do what I've been doing. Follow my example. All of those things and more. Do those things. And like, I remember the very first time I read that and, like, Jesus was saying, do greater things. I was like, well, what can that mean? Like, Jesus rose people from the dead. Like, how do you get greater from that? I mean, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? And I realized what Jesus is talking about is not quality. He's talking about quantity. 
Like when Jesus was around, he was one man full of the Holy Spirit in one place making a difference for the kingdom. But there are over a third of the world's population, over 1.3 billion people in the world who God has placed. And when he's saying greater, he's basically saying, what can 1.3 billion people who are full of the Holy Spirit, committed to lives of justice and mercy, what could they do? They could surely do greater than I've done in one place, in one moment, in one time. If we would say yes to that. And what should we do? These three things. Do justice. Again, we've reminded ourselves of the difference between justice and mercy. Justice is about putting the wrong things right. Justice is is about calling something out and saying, that's not fair, that's not right, and committed to make it fair. Jesus turns over the, the tables in the temple twice at the beginning and end of his ministry, because the temple had become this barrier to God's forgiveness. And he turns over the tables to basically say, this system is corrupt, it's outdated, it's impotent, and it's over. Jesus shows us justice. He's willing to challenge the system, even if it cost him his life. And it did cost him his life. Justice is about ensuring that other people have the same opportunities that you have. To get a job, to have a home, to be able to eat and put the heating on at the same time. To be safe. To have a future. Justice is about people being able to hear about Jesus who've never heard about how amazing Jesus is. God does justice. And he calls us in Micah 6, 8 and through the example of Jesus to do the same. To do the same. To put the wrong things right. And he calls us to love mercy. This Hebrew phrase for mercy here literally is is an ongoing word. It talks about the diligent, repeated practice and habit of compassion-filled kindness. That's what it means. The diligent, repeated habit or practice for compassion-filled kindness. Practical and prayerful responses. Practical and prayerful responses. And we see that in Jesus. Jesus is very practical in his ministry. He he befriends the unfriendable. He feeds the hungry. He does the very practical things. And then there's prayerful things. There's healing and miracles and supernatural breakthrough. And we want both, don't we? We want both, don't we? We want to see people's basic needs, the essential needs of life provided for. And we want them to experience the powerful Uh, freedom only Jesus brings. There's justice and mercy, and then we walk humbly before our God. And there are elements of this humility when we think about it, when we consider all that God has done for us, the fact that we're all a bit screwed up and messed up, and and, and we can be self-centered and selfish ourselves, and yet God has poured out his love on us and goodness on us. He died for us, rose for us, restored us into relationship with Jesus, recommissioned us into our original calling to partner with him, to see darkness and death expunged throughout the earth, more of heaven to break out. He's done that for us. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've done anything impressive because of it's just loving kindness. And that should humble us. Rather than looking down on someone else and thinking we're better than them. Rather than thinking, you know, we're, we're the great hope and we're going to come and rescue these people. But we do it from a place of humility. We're just one broken person coming along another broken person, alongside another broken person. We do it in humility. We don't do it for our ego. We're not trying to look good. We're not trying to impress other people. We reject the choice to become the savior of the world. We recognize that position is already taken. 
we stay humble. And we stay humble knowing that actually to truly be this kind of person that God has created to be, to love justice, to do justice and love mercy, we can't do that in our own strength. Our human nature tilts us towards ourselves. So we humbly come before God and say, God, help me. God, change me. Change my heart. I just don't care enough. I just don't care enough. I don't care enough. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly before the Lord. This is what God's shown us ultimately through Jesus. This should be the global reputation of the church. Shouldn't it? The global reputation of the church. In every country of the world. If you said the word church, then people should immediately say, they are the people who love and care and compassion. They are the people who serve and sacrifice. They are the people who give everything. They are those who speak life. It should be the global reputation of the church. And it is a tragedy, friends, that when people tend to think about the church, they either think it's boring, we're bigoted, or it's all baloney. It's just a load of rubbish. Because that's so often what they see. But if we could get back to our divine mandate, we could get back to what God's calling us to, to not be those who walk by, to become like our God, to reflect him in the world, to embrace what he's called us to do in terms of doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. Now, I I know that the global need outstrips our personal supply. It does, doesn't it? Can't fix everything. But as I start to come into to finish, let me Let me remind us of, again, what this passage tells us. With God enabling us, there are two things we can do. Number one, we can fight for justice for someone. And we can be kind to everyone. You can fight for justice for someone and you can be kind to everyone. You you, you can't fix everything, but you can fix something. What's your cause? What's the thing that gets you up in the morning? You see... We all watch the news, we have done for years, and we'll see stuff, and we're concerned about it. But you never act on concern. You only act on complaint. Think about when you go to a restaurant, and you're, you're having a nice meal, and, and the peas are cold. And, uh, and you're a, you're a, you're a bit, it's a bit of a concern to you. And when the waiter or waitress comes over, and at the end, he or she says to you, how was your meal? If you're just concerned, you'll go, it was fine. Because it's just a concern. It's no big deal. But if you have a complaint, you will have to do something about it. You can't just sit inside. You've got to say something. And again, I think the problem for so many of us, including me, is I've got a whole bunch of concerns, but I don't have a complaint that burns in my bones that says, I've got to do something about this. This is happening on my watch. God has burned something in my heart. It's my complaint. And if you haven't got a complaint, if there's not a cause that God is inviting you to to be justice and do justice in, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit throughout this series, throughout as you look on what's going on in the world, will burn something in you. Something in you that will just say, you can do something about this. Challenge the system, whatever it is. There's enough going on. You, You can't fight for everyone, but you can fight for someone. I'm going to invite you. To fight for justice for someone and, and discover your divine complaint. What is the thing that will get you up in the morning?
And then secondly, you can choose to be compassionately kind to everyone. To everyone. Whether that is just a smile or a prayer. So many times we're, we're reminded in Scripture that, that if you have the resources to help someone, but you just walk by, then like, what's, there's something wrong with that. Like, Sam and Leo, for the last week, have slept on the sofa so that refugee families can sleep in their bed. Leo and his 15-year-old daughter, Francesca, were up and meeting a train at 3 o'clock this morning in Yash to provide food for refugees. This morning on our way here, we, we listened to a message from Sam as she wept about all that they're facing. And, and you know, we, you know we, we're giving money and keep giving money, be generous. It's wonderful what the church is doing. But as we look at what they're doing, then I have to ask, well, what am I doing with my home, with my car, with everything that God has given me? Just like, just like God did with, Joe, uh, with Moses back in Exodus 3, he says to us, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? You know, I, I'm not against God allowing us to have good stuff. But as long as you believe that that stuff is there for you to be a blessing to other people, not just for you. Double the size of your house with an extension as long as you're willing for other people to come and stay. If you've got a lovely car, be committed to give people rides. Like whatever you've got, use it for the glory of God. Whatever you've got. Be kind to everyone as long as it, you're able. At the end of the story of Oscar Schindler, if you've seen the film or you've read the book, you'll, you'll know that he gets to the very end. He saved 1,100 people. And the people that he saved, these Jewish people, they're so grateful to him that they, they literally they, they pull out their teeth where they've got gold fillings in their teeth. And they, they melt the gold down. And they give him a ring, and on the ring is the Hebrew Talmud inscription, he who saves a life saves the entire world. And they hand him the gift, and he's overwhelmed with emotion, and, and, and he sobs and says, I could have done so much more. I could have done so much more. And, and, and one of the Jewish uh, men, a guy called Stone, says, no, Oscar, like, you were amazing. You, you, you rescued 1,100 people, and because you rescued 1,100 people, generations will be saved. You will have saved thousands but he doesn't hear it he just cries and weeps and he, and he looks at his car and he goes I could have sold my car like he founds a gold brooch and he says I could have sold this I could have done so much more he's inconsolable because he gets to the end of this process having done so much and realizes I still prize things that really didn't matter I don't want to get to the end of my life I don't want to get to my deathbed and think I could have lived more justly I could have lived more generously now, in all these things, friends, as I, as I close, and worship team, do you want to come up? In all these things, you know, you've got to pray, God, what are you asking me to do? And whatever you sense God asks you to do, do that. But, but in this whole series where God is provoking us to join in with what he's doing in the world, to put the wrong things right, 
to do justice, to love mercy with his help. Discover your fight for justice for someone and make a choice to be kind to everyone. Should we stand? Lord Jesus, just going to invite you, just, let's just close our eyes for a minute and um, just want to encourage you right where you are, just Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this moment? What are you saying to me? Thank you, Lord. encourage you right where you are to make your own personal response to God. If you're anything like me this week, I've been like, oh God, I'm sorry. I just, so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry my priorities are wrong. Burn a complaint in me. complaint in me. Give me a course. Help me to find my thing, the justice for someone. Soften my heart for everyone. Everyone is precious. Everyone is precious. Lord, the next time I, I walk past that person who's different to me, and judgment and prejudice rises up. Forgive me. Soften my heart. They're precious to you. They're precious to you. Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to change, to be different. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Marvelous. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 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 we're continuing to pray and listen to Holy Spirit in this moment, I just had a strong sense that there are some of us here today that already know what our complaints are, we already know what our causes of justice are, but last time we tried to do something about those areas of injustice, and we experienced disappointment, we experienced fear, we had that feeling of, well, did it really work? Did anything really change there? And as a result, that's just been hidden, you, you've put it down. And if that's you today, I'd, I'd love to be able to pray for you. I feel it's a number of us here today where you actually know what your complaint should be. You actually really, really know the, 
injustice that burns in your heart. But actually, you're scared because if you recommit to this today, what will it mean against the disappointment you've previously felt? What will it mean against the fear? What if you dry again and you feel like nothing's going to happen? So if this resonates with you today, I would really encourage you just to come forward and receive some prayer from the prayer team. I'll be there too. And some of you equally on the other side may be feeling, I don't even know where to start with what Matt said. I feel completely overwhelmed. I have no idea what are the causes that God is wanting to put on my heart. We'll know that a starting place is just to simply say, God, show me. God, show me. So why don't we just keep doing that now as we respond? And if you want to respond particularly to what I've said already, that God would uncover what you know deep down to be true is your cause and your complaint, then with boldness and with courage, come forwards and we can pray today. So do that. We're going to sing this song as a part of our response. But uh, if you would want prayer about a cause being released in you, then do come over to this side here and just be open. Again, this is not like, oh, now we're just going to sing a song. No, this is all part of our response to God. We sing this song, God, I look to you. I look to you. Look to you for help. I look to you for direction. I look to you for conviction. I look to you for forgiveness. I look to you for justice. I look to you for mercy. I look to you for vision. We've already sung that. I look to you. This is part of our response. But if you would want prayer about what we've talked about today, feel free to come forward. And if you have never fully given your life to Jesus, then again, we invite you to come forward. We'd love to pray with you that you could begin this journey, your true identity and purpose as a child of God, embracing God's mission to see heaven break out, justice and mercy overall in a broken world. Come forward. We'd love to pray with you. But let's continue in response as we sing this song. Let's do it.